What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Tuesday Night Live here on the Serious Angler Network, powered by X2 Power. It's still really cool to say that. Um, today, we have an awesome guest, John Garrett, who uh, fished for the powerhouse of Bethel University. And we're going to be talking about his uh, career here in the Bassmaster Opens and the race to try and qualify for the Elite Series. So a couple side notes here. Uh, my busy month of June is coming to a close of back-to-back-to-back guide trips on Lake Erie here in Buffalo. Have some open dates in July and August. And uh, for everyone who's listening here, a little sidebar. We're thinking about adding some things into the podcast, like maybe like a bait of the week or a bait of the month. If you think that's a good idea, shoot us a message and let us know or leave it down there in the comments as we're going along here. But um Bailey is not joining us tonight. Surprise, surprise. He has been as busy as ever this month of June, working all over the place for his uh, mainstay job with gunpowder. And he is up on Lake Champlain right now, I, if I do believe. I haven't talked to him in like four days, I feel like. And um, he's up there with a bunch of the Berkeley Abu Garcia pure fishing pros and having a good time. So, but... Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun, so without further ado, let's get John in here, and uh, let's make sure we're sending him some questions over so when we get to that point, he can answer them for us. So, hey, John, how's it going, man? I'm good, Andrew. How are you, buddy? Good, good. So, got a nice little stretch coming up here, driving to New York. Whereabouts are you at right now, living? Yeah, I'm in northwest Tennessee. Um, oh. you, um, I'm about... I'm like 14 hours from Onada, so that'd be a haul up there next week. Well, good thing you have that awesome Ford truck that we're going to talk about here in a few. But um, how's uh, your year going so far? Pretty good? Or I haven't caught up on like any of the standings. It's been hectic. But how's everything going? I would say probably below average year for me. Um, mm-hmm. I've had two good events out of the half, halfway point of the season. I have a pretty good chance in the northern side of top 20 and on the James River, but so far through the Southerns and Centrals, it'd be pretty hard for me to make a comeback in those divisions. Well, fingers crossed, and hopefully you can turn it around, and maybe, who knows, because, I mean, we'll dive into this a little bit more, but you've been close in the Southerns and Central Opens before, right, to yeah. get that blue trophy, so yeah. we'll talk about that here shortly, but uh, as we're getting started, let's digress a little bit, and let's talk about your intro into fishing. Who got you into it, and how did you become hooked? Um, well, really, I, my whole family was kind of geared around the outdoor industry. My family owned a marina here in town, Union City Marine, um, and my granddad and dad worked there. So from the get-go, I was around bass boats, you know, duck hunting boats and, and water. So um, really, my granddad got me into fishing. You know, we'd, we'd go every weekend. He's off work and after school and whatnot. So, you know, my one that got me into it. That's awesome. So is he the one that you fished your first bass tournament with? Uh, actually, um, we didn't, I didn't fish a bass tournament. He got me into a bass club. He was a mm-hmm. part of the Roofwood Lake Bass Club. Um, they opened up a junior side of that from like ages 8 to 16. Um, so he made me wait till I was 8 years old to fish a, my first bass tournament. So and that that was my first bass tournament was in a junior bass club when I was 8. So. Yeah. And you've been hooked ever since, I'm assuming. Sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> so what would you consider is your home lake there in uh, western Tennessee? So I live on Realfoot Lake, but there's no big tournaments or anything like that there. So <clears throat> my home bodies of water are more Kentucky Lake and Pickwick. Gotcha. Is yep. uh, Do you think Kentucky Lake is slowly making a comeback? Every time I see pictures, it seems like people are catching more smallmouth than large mouth yeah i would say it's inching along um if i had to guess in five seven to ten years i think it'd be a pretty good fishery it's like every year we see that much improvement um but yeah the the small mouth have have really thrived um Mm -hmm. with the i get the new bait fish asian carp um small mouth can suspend to chase those things just a little bit larger or better than large mouth can so Hmm. That's awesome. So has that lake, I heard, I was talking to somebody, I think like three years ago or four years ago, pre-COVID, 
he was talking about because he brought the bass tank up here for the fishing show we have and i our fishing shows are tiny compared to some of the ones down south but he was telling me that kentucky lake is a lot clearer than it used to be as well is that is there any truth to that or it it seems to be in the fall um but no and spring summer and winter it's pretty dirty and in the fall been having less current seems like than than on record you know on normal year so in the fall we get pretty clean water gotcha so then and then pickwick as well we all know about pickwick and what that produces right some you can catch giant smallmouth largemouth some spots so let's digress here and jump back into that first bass tournament eight years old what were your thoughts if you can remember them going into that tournament and then walking away from it yeah so I, I was I do remember it. I remember yesterday. So we actually fished a small watershed lake and I was using a a rhino button reel is red and black. Oh and perfect. <laughs> my my granddad was big on the culprit red shad worms and he was like, pick this up, throw it, um, don't put it down. And I caught I caught one I caught a three twelve as the biggest fish of the tournament, it was the only fish I caught and I got so excited when I caught that fish and I was in a younger age group, younger age group fishing back of the boat, older fish in the front. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. I sure did. Yeah. Yeah. And then it moves you into the next segment here and that's college fishing. Right. So let's talk about like when you were getting ready to go to Bethel to fish college, was there high school fishing already at that point? So or was I was like relatively fresh. It was very fresh. Um, my freshman year, there's a few teams in Tennessee, few schools in Tennessee that started that up. Um, my sophomore year, me and a couple of buddies, we like to fish together. Um, we started a the high school club, the O'Brien County Central High School Club. And we traveled around fishing, you know, state tournaments and whatnot. Um, but it wasn't near to the extent it is now. Um, but, yeah, there, there was just – the high school stuff was just starting up. Yeah. What was there like? I don't know if you looked at, but there was the high school national championship at Pickwick. I think this past weekend there was what four hundred and twenty something boats. I think sure was. Uh, And uh, (laughs) we we fished a my senior year. We fished a regional, and that was you know Alabama, Tennessee, you know all all of our region fished on um, Wheeler Lake, Mm -hmm. and the top ten qualified fit or qualified for the first ever. Bassmaster High School Classic. So that was like how early on I was, and I was at the kind of the first steps that of the mm. Bassmaster stuff in high school. That's awesome. So then through high school, obviously you love fishing so much that you wanted to pursue like a college fishing deal. And Bethel is like at the time was like the powerhouse, and it still is, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, it is. So what made you choose Bethel University? Or were you like recruited to go there? Because I have no idea how that truly works. Some colleges can recruit, some can't. Like, it's crazy, the world of bass fishing in college. Bethel kind of came to I mean, it was kind of just fell in my lap when I was in high school. Um, back then, they had the the college fishing shows, Bassmaster shows that come on every week. Mm-hmm. I remember watching those with my granddad and some of the original Bethel guys, you know, Zach Parker, Dewey Swims, Randall, um, some of those original guys are weighing in huge bags of fish. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can catch 25 pounds a day. Like these guys are, you know, but, <laughs> um, Bethel's pretty close to me. And I was working at my granddad's Marina one day and the coach assistant coach at Bethel kind of popped in one day and just kind of gave me a visit before then. I really college wasn't really a thought in my brain. They were like, Hey, you know, we want you here. We, you know, give you a scholarship to come here. And that was kind of my first really even thought about going to college, to be honest with you. Hmm. So what was the plan before college? Were you going to go like trade school? Or were you just going to try to go pro? Like, um, yeah, I'd, I'd always wanted to do the fishing aspect of it. Um, my kind of my thought process where I was going to work in my granddad's marina, um, spring, summer and fall. And I run a duck hunting guide in the winter. So I was going to do that during the winter and hopefully eventually build up enough money to get a boat, whatnot, and start fishing a little bit more than that. Awesome. So, like, let's talk about your college career. Obviously, 
Um, people have followed you probably extensively to this point since you were the youngest angler to ever qualify in the collegiate program for the Bassmaster Classic. So let's talk about real quick that year leading up to that. So like, and how, what was the euphoria like when you actually did qualify? Was it like shocking? You couldn't believe it? Or did you actually know that you were going to do it going into that qualification tournament? Yeah. So that, that year was kind of crazy. I was a freshman in college. Um, me and my partner, Brian, and kind of a little backstory here, our very first college tournament ever, first day we zeroed. And we're like, oh, gosh, this is how this is going to be. You know what I mean? And then um, we qualify for the national championship at um, Oklahoma in the wild card. So we kind of sucked all year, qualified through the wild card. And that's when they released the um, national championship and the bracket. And the bracket was going to be on Kentucky Lake. And I was like, you know, I need – take advantage of this. This is probably my opportunity to possibly shine here. So I went to Green River and spent a bunch of pre-practice marking brush piles, fishing offshore. Um, we came in second there, lost by like four ounces. And then when the bracket came to Kentucky Lake, it was during a 300-boat high school tournament. Lake was tough as nails, and I kind of had a pretty good idea that I was had a chance to do well there. Awesome. So then that's how you qualified for the 2017 Classic at Conroe, obviously, was for Kentucky Lake. Yes, correct. Yeah. So um, let's dive into that. The, I know the Classic, I went my first time this year just to the expo and stuff. How was it being on the other side of the stage, like from start to finish? Like you qualified and kind of run us through the entire deal here because it's a huge deal from what I saw while being there. Yeah, it is. And for, from the moment I qualified, I had people that, hey, you know, kind of been there before, fished the classic before, and their biggest advice to me was take it all in, enjoy every minute you can. Of course, you're going to be stressed, but do what you can on the water, but don't get overly stressed about it. Just mainly enjoy your time there. And that's kind of what I did. Um, you know, I practiced hard as I could, fished hard as I could in the tournament. Um, but for some reason, I just like, I wasn't like stressed out like I am in some of these opens. Like mm -hmm. I have these fish. So I really did kind of step back and enjoy it. I would say probably a little more than some of the other guys there did. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was pretty awesome. And then going through it um, while I was there, I'm like, yeah, this is a good time. But after the tournament, the next year I was at the class, like I'm like, man, that's where I want to be back at. I don't want to miss it. You know, the list, the, you know, if I can never miss another one of these again, that's the goal. So, yeah. And I mean, you've been pretty close now here a couple times to making it through the opens. So like seeing Jordan Lee drop that giant bag on day three, right. Sitting on that yeah. spot, like being on, cause you're probably in the backside of everything at that point. You could kind yeah. of see what was going on. What was that like? Like just the fireworks. Yeah, that, that was crazy. So, um, stars kind of aligned. He already clearly already had that spot, but he broke down, caught a big one, caught another big one, whatever. And then it's all of a sudden he's on this monster bag, like you're saying. And of course, me coming through the college ranks, he coming through the college ranks, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was fired up about that. And um, <clears throat> just kind of seeing him, you know, win kind of gave, I would say, the whole college fishing industry you know everybody involved in that it's like oh wow this is this is happening it kind of opens a lot of eyes for yeah. collegiate well you know yeah it like exploded like the the reach that college fishing had because after that point i feel like college fishing just like exploded like every yeah. team has like a powerhouse team like a, a two tandem team partner team all across the country, it seems like anybody now at any college tournament can win an event. And it yeah. used to be just like five to ten teams and be like, okay, that pairing's going to win or this pairing. Yeah, I feel like what he did at Conroe kind of, like you said, exploded or just magnified college fishing even more than it was for sure. Yeah, so going to college then, like, obviously it was a great idea to take Bethel up on the opportunity to go because, I mean – how much of your career now can you basically credit to fishing the college ranks, right? So I would say every helped. bit. Yeah. I, 
I would say almost every bit of it. Um, you know, from the success that Brian and I had through college, um, kind of after our freshman year, we had a really good collegiate career and really just got you, got me like more in depth of knowledge of how the industry works. Um, made a ton of connections because not only the people that were already working in the fishing industry, people that were fishing college when I was there are now working in the fishing industry. Mm -hmm. So I would say college fishing has opened up nearly every door that I have, have going on right now. That's an incredible thing just to witness because like it gives people hope that the college side could actually benefit you than rather just having a giant student loan payment. So (laughs) that's correct. And, you know, um, fishing for Bethel, um, we, we had a really good team, made some great friends and not only the people that went to Bethel, I got guys from Texas and Florida, Michigan, the fish for Adrian college. Like I made so many friends that are just spattered all over the country and, I could pick my phone up and call somebody and I, if I needed to, you know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah. it, it is definitely, it was a, I would, I wouldn't trade it for sure. I would do it all over again. Now, when you qualified for the classic and I mean, obviously I don't think you, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this in a mean way. It wasn't the best showing that you could have had at the first class grade. I think you finished like 40th or 33rd yeah. or something like that, but you got the $10,000 payday from that, if I remember correctly. And then this ever burning desire probably to go pro even more because of the fact you got to witness it from behind the stage. And then the next year on the opposite side, and it probably hurt to be on the opposite side after walking across. Yeah, it, it does. for <laughs> And um, after it was all over, I came in, I only beat 12 people there. Um, my wife, and after that, I was kind of disappointed in my finish. You know, glad to be there. I was like, ah, better than that. Um, Daryl Swindle was um, the angler year. The year before, he gave the night of champion speech. My wife just kept bringing up, well, you beat Gerald Swindle. You beat Gerald Swindle. And, I, you know, at the time, it didn't mean nothing to me. But after that, I was like, well, you know, I beat 12 of those guys. That's what they do for a living. Yeah. And gave me a little, I guess you say, motivation and hope um and myself to kind of keep pushing forward and saying hey it's a realistic chance if you just keep on trying so yeah and every year you're going to constantly grow because you're going to learn more and hopefully be able to apply different things with the knowledge that you have learned and i mean some people get lucky and qualify right off the bat right right for the elite series but from what from what it seems to me is the guys that take a while, not like forever, but a while to get there, they tend to have more success once they get to the Elite Series. At least that's what it seems like because you already have all these valuable experiences from all these lakes that they go to every year. So you're more set You're more set up for the future than you are in the present. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that, yeah. So um, kind of hopping here now. So you've got through your collegiate career, you make the jump into into the opens. How did fishing college tournaments help prep you to to make that jump into like the pro side of the boat and to dive right into the opens? I would say that uh, honestly, towards the end of my collegiate fishing career, the college fishing tournaments, uh, you know, some people might, you know, look, you know, not agree with this. There were nearly the same amount of competition and challenges as the opens are right now. We have two, three hundred boats, um, crowded lakes, great fishermen, um, and that's the same stuff we're facing with in the opens. So when I jump from my last year at Bethel to my first year of the opens, I was very surprised on how similar those tournaments were, mm-hmm. uh, and. I could kind of correlate that still today in college. If I got onto something, had a decent practice, it usually resulted in a decent tournament. And it's the same way for me in the opens now. So, you know, it, it really shocked me of how competitive the collegiate fishing was. I mean, it's definitely there now, but even it would transformed towards the end of my career onto, you know, based on what the opens are like now. So, yeah. 
It's um, it's kind of crazy to think like how many teams show up for those bigger tournaments, and not. And you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but not a lot of the collegiate tournaments too. The, a lot of them are on smaller, like lesser known lakes than the big ones, right? Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So like, 300 boats on Gunnersville might be all right, but 300 boats on like a Lay Lake might be a little, a yeah. little tight. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just that's what we, and that's what we face most of the time because, yeah. um, more times than not, we were following an event. So there would be an event on a big body of water. You know, our event would be next door to a smaller body of water. So, yeah, oh, fun. Nothing like yeah. bumper boats on a half size lake than what the like the big guys are fishing with a third of the field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like That's why right. can't we switch places? Like why can't we switch lakes? Right. <laughs> so before we dive into like really dive into open into the opens and everything, I kind of want to talk about a unique like partnership sponsorship you have and that's with ford so kind of dive into like how that all came about and talk about your tow vehicle as well because it's one of those hybrid f-150s right the lariat hybrid version yes so kind of dive into like how the whole thing came about and why you think that um that ford f-150 is kind of going to change the game for guys as more like regulations come out and we have to go to more electrical vehicle types how does it like tow your boat? Just kind of dive right in and tell okay. them, like tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So I started um, two years ago. I partnered with Hypertech and they are a truck program, a company vehicle program, a company um, just help you get better gas mileage, better, you know, horsepower, whatnot. And that kind of got me into the automotive side of things. Mm-hmm. When before then I was focused in the fishing industry and when I got on the automotive side, you know, I was like, I'm going to try to step my foot into this door, give people an opportunity to branch out farther with some of their advertisement stuff. And <clears throat> I hate to put it this way, but I, I got pretty lucky on, on the, the Ford sponsorship, um, working with corporate there. And, um, you know, so they seen opportunity with me to be like, you know, Hey, you know, we have this, this guy willing to, you know, promote us on basically a, you know, a, a tour or a industry that's based off a one truck deal. Um, yeah. cause Toyota kind of has their name stamped on the fishing industry. Yeah. They're like, you know, this might be an opportunity for us. We're going to put him into something totally different that these guys don't have. And that's when we worked on the, <clears throat> my fishing rig, my truck there. And it, it's a, a Ford Lariat hybrid. And, I get asked all the time about the electric side of it, gas side of it, um, and whatnot. So basically starting from the beginning of the truck, um, <clears throat> what's really great about it is it's electric and it's gas. So if I hook my boat up, head to Onada, um, like I am Friday or Saturday, you know, Saturday morning, I'll be able to travel towing my boat in electric mode. And just to, kind of depending on how fast I'm going, how hard I'm pulling. Um, my truck will pull it, you know, up to probably 30, 40 minutes in electric mode, and then it kicks over to gas. And then the alternator charge my battery back up, and when my battery gets, you know, safe enough to run on electric mode again, it kicks me back over to electric mode. So I don't have to plug my truck in. I'm running somewhere, you know, 30% of my trip, I'm in electric mode, and if I unhook my boat, it's, I would say close to 50% of my time I'm in electric mode. So it saves a ton on me. It's it's so hard to put a number on how much gas I save um, because when, I, when I'm pulling my boat in gas mode, I'm getting, I would say, better than average fuel economy pulling my truck in gas mode. And then when it kicks over to electric mode, I'm essentially getting 100 miles a gallon or, you know, however yeah. – you want to put a number on that, you know, but it's just so nice for me to make less gas stops. Um, and man, my, it, it's so powerful. It's a twin turbo V6. Um, so it, it means just so easy pulling my truck or pulling my boat around. It, it's all, all the way around. It's, it's the best truck I've been in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's helped me out greatly, especially $5 a gallon of gas we got right now. So awesome. wait till you get to New York. It's the same. Yeah. 
Like <laughs> our our gas actually like just started going down a little bit. The local gas station here, I think, right now is like four sixty five, I believe. Like so, I don't know what it is over like central New York, eastern New York. Oneida is about two and a half hours from my house, roughly. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, gas stinks. Like I wish I had a hybrid truck right yeah. now because I have the uh, twenty twenty ford f-150 but i got the old v8 in it and it, it's an amazing tow vehicle but uh when i drive 100 miles towing my boat it, it's not fun yeah yeah <laughs> so i i was in a i was in a ford lariat uh, i was in a ford f-150 up until this point too so mm-hmm. it's nice i got this same vehicle i got a better vehicle it's almost exactly the same but I'm getting you know 10 times the gas mileage basically so um yeah. Something cool about that truck that I've had a lot of questions about and I've helped a lot of people out is it has a built-in onboard generator. Hmm. So all the time as us fishermen, we're blowing circuit boards and breakers at hotel rooms. So I'm, I charge my boat on my, with my truck every night. I don't even plug in the hotel anymore. Oh, interesting. So pretty cool deal. Yeah. So the battery has enough ampage and power to charge your boat successfully through the night and then still start in the morning yeah exactly so um my truck would be on essentially all night um but without me driving at all it's in electric mode for hours on end and then my truck would start up and run 15 minutes charge your battery back up and you know give the power it needs to to the generator to charge my boat so hmm. And, and you luckily to this point haven't had any battery issues in your truck, right? I have not. I've not had a single battery issue. Haven't had a jump start it. Um, and I mean, so That's far incredible. Yeah. Now is this your first year running that electric truck? So like to yep. the tours and stuff. Yes, wow. it is. Yeah, the, the twenty. I'm, I'm in a 2021, and that's the first uh, one of the originals that they come out with. So this is their first full year of selling that hybrid. Awesome. Do you think you'll leave it, or do you think uh, you'll stay with the hybrid going forward? I'm probably going to stay with the hybrid going forward, um, unless they, they kind of push me in a different direction. But if I had to pick so far, I'd be in that, just because of basically how much money I save on the road. Yeah. It was, they were like, hey, John, we're going to give you this Ford Raptor hybrid. Could you imagine <laughs> that one? That'd be a yeah. cool little tow vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> not, not much yeah. storage space, but it'd be an awesome tow vehicle. Yeah, so, for sure. Now, is the tow rating different on this truck than like a normal F-150? Because it's, that... it's actually more. Um, I can't give you the the exact specs on it, um, but it is, it's between like 7 and 10% more tow rating on that than the previous F-150 Lariat. So. And is that because of like the electrical current when the motor is in electric mode, it tends to produce more torque? Is that why? Uh, no, it's, it's because the twin turbo. Uh, gotcha. Exactly. Fair enough. I thought yeah. that was a good question. Just because, like, you know, with Tesla and stuff, but they're all electric vehicles with the trucks they have coming out. I've read things that they have, like, this insane amount of tow capacity just because with the electric vehicle, the, like, the rear differential has more torque to it, so therefore it's able to pull more weight. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's the same reason with the hybrid vehicles that there's when it's in that electrical mode it produces more torque. So that's a cool point. So Mr. Higgs does have a quick question here for you. He wants to know if you have a timetable to make it to the elites by any chance, or is there just when it happens, it happens type deal. Yeah, I would say there's a timetable um, because just on myself financially, um, I'm fishing against 225 guys cutting teeth to cut a $4,000 check in cents. So, if I don't get a top five finish every year, you're not making any money. Um, I'll, I'm probably going to give myself probably, you know, two or three more years. Uh, and that's when I'm going to have to probably make some kind of business decision on my own, whether it's jumping to a different league or, you know, something else. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy how 
intense the competition is in the opens. I remember, I think like four or five years ago, some of the events they couldn't even like fill all the way, but now gas prices are $5 a gallon. Inflation is like 700%. And everyone's like, I'm just going to fish bass tournaments. Yeah. Now there's a hundred people on the wait list. Yeah. Which is just, it's astronomical to me. I want to know where these guys are getting the money and if they can spread the wealth. (laughs) That is my question. Um, But uh, so let's dive into the opens here. So, the main topic of the show, right, is the difference between chasing a blue trophy or being consistent in the Opens. And you've been close to getting the blue trophy once in 2020 and once in 2021. And we'll get yep. there in a moment. But when it comes to the Opens, being consistent is key. But um, how do you prepare for a tournament that you think you can win as opposed to cashing a check and surviving? Yeah, so I struggle. I still struggle with this personally because I have a mindset of I, my mindset changes tournament to tournament almost. So there's been so many times where, let's say Ross Barnett was our last tournament. Uh, I came in with this mindset: I'm going to try to figure something out off the wall middle of the lake, no one else is going to be on it. I'm going to look for a winning spot, a winning pattern. And I focused on that the three days I was there. Did not find any kind of consistent bite. It's not really what I was looking for. And it bit me. And sometimes I go in a tournament like, look, I'm looking to find consistent bite. I'm looking to cash a check, survive this tournament. And Sometimes you still don't find it. So, I mean, um, the times that I've got close to winning and I've had good tournaments, a lot of times I've had that mindset of I'm going to come in here and I'm going to try to win this tournament versus I'm going to come in here and try to squeak by with a you know 30th place finish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Polnick basically had a quote out there. And you can't quote me. I might be – I might misquote him correctly, but he basically – he said that if he doesn't feel like he can win, then he will never have a shot at winning a tournament. So uh, like, I, I think he practices every tournament like he wants to win. Yeah, yeah. that's exa- And, you know, he's leading AOI right now. So yeah. Good chance to win every tournament. And I, it, it really has hurt me in the Opens this year because I've had that mindset and I haven't taken the time during my practice but hey let me find a way to even get some bites let me find a way to get a handful of bites even if they're two pound bites you know even even if it's just a decent limit to give me some points um i mean it's something i struggle with i think it's something that you know a lot of people struggle with and there there is a difference on on what you're looking for for sure yeah and i mean how do you so when you're like practicing right like we'll We'll circle back. It was what twenty twenty one, where you almost won Pickwick. It was what yep. second or third place you yep. finished. So, like, what if you can reflect on that tournament now, that open? What did you find? And not giving away like any yep. spots or anything, right? Like, what did you find to know that you were able to possibly have a shot to win that tournament and to go out and swing for it? Yeah. So, I just I kind of have a little a feel for what goes on the Tennessee river, you know, yeah. kind of by day, but there was a huge chat spawn going on. And I knew there's going to be a lot of people that do good. The first 30 minutes to hour and a half of the tournament on chat spawn. It's really hard to win a tournament doing that. So I spent my whole practice getting in those areas that those fish, the, that chat spawn bot was going on. And I was learning what that, those, that bait fish did after the shad spawn and where those bass went after they got done that shad spawn bite. And I got, I fished for, I practiced for like six days and I found two spots. Um, there were middle of a flat surrounded by shallow water that those fish were, um, those shad were spawning and they would kind of drop off um, and vacate. But you look for something just so off the wall you know no one's going to find it. Um, you're targeting a bigger class of fish. And I found those spots. And I knew. I was like, got these. I have these two spots. Um, I have to play them right. Um, with 250 boats on there, it, it was hard, like, 
I went the first day. It was one o'clock before I even felt comfortable fishing one of those spots because there were so many boats around. Um, and ultimately, I think I I think I lost that tournament not because of fish I lost, but because other competitors seen me fishing these spots. And when I would leave, you know, they would they would pull in. So mm. it, it's really, you know, finding a, a winning deal is you're looking completely off the wall, middle of flats. You're just looking in a place that no one else will look, and you're looking for the needle in a haystack. You're finding a place that has fish that really shouldn't have fish. Yeah, and it's like, here's my main lake point, but here's this little flat that comes off of it 200 yards away, and now you have that little diamond in the rough that takes you 17 hours to graph just to find. That's exactly right, yeah. And that that is a tough pattern to yep. chase and i commend you for that because you know what i would be doing i would be up shallow or just looking on main stuff and be like i just need to catch fish because yep. the way i look at it is and this is just me personally thinking out loud like bailey if he was here he would say i love your strategy he does exactly the same thing you do john he goes and looks for the off the wall stuff me personally i have the exact opposite mindset that I'm like, you know what? They call it a community hole for a reason. I'm going to try to find my own little stuff near that community hole that those bigger fish might be. I'm not like, I probably should be more afraid to fish around people than I am. And that, and this is because of limited tournament experience. I guide most of my days now. So it's like fishing in a crowd never bothers me anymore, yeah. even in a tournament situation. So that, that's kind of cool to hear that. Um, you back up Bailey's belief of finding a needle in a haystack because that is a heck of a hard pattern to follow. It, and it, it's so – so basically way our fishing is now, it's so competitive, there's so many people, is it has more become a spot-orientated tournament style instead of a pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a whole lake. When someone wins a tournament – they usually win off one or two spots. You know, it's very rare to see someone let's like kind of jump back to when Bill Lowen won the Pickwick tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, He won it old school, flipping the bank, you know, that kind of deal. Um, It doesn't happen a lot. Uh, Most now tournaments are won off just one or two very special spots. And those people kind of went through that process to find them, you know, and, a lot of times when you're chasing that spot, um, sometimes you strike gold in practice. You find fish where there's not supposed to be fish, but man, they, they'd be gone. They, they could be gone like that because there's nothing there for them to hold on, you know? So yeah. Sounds it's a, like smallmouth to me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like even Great Lakes smallmouth, like, and I'm sure you've experienced this a little bit fishing the opens. They'll be there one day and then next day you go back 6 a.m. and you find them at like one o'clock in the afternoon and, you're like, that's my starting spot. I know it. And you pull up and it's ghost town. And you're like, oh, yeah. crap. What do I do now? <laughs> and then um, I was talking to my buddy who fishes the opens as well. And he's like, yeah, I had this school last year. He did really well at the St. Lawrence. He goes, yeah, I had this school day one. They were completely gone. And day two, I showed up at like one o'clock in the afternoon just to check it because I still didn't have anything really. And he goes, they were there again. And yeah. I'm like, small mouth that's all i can say but it sounds like down south on like ledge fisheries it's kind of the same deal on like they'll just kind of be like out in the middle of the abyss and then they'll pull up in the main structure and then yep. when they get pressured they just kind of vanish again yeah deal. It, yeah that's exactly right and it's it's getting worse and worse um you know if you have a place that don't get pressured they'll sit on that spot for two months and if you got a place that people know about you'll they'll be there one minute and 30 minutes later, they'll be 200 yards away, you know? So I mean, fish are adapting to us for sure. Especially when there's 15 boats sitting on them with 360 and live scope pinging their ears away in the lateral lines. I I can't imagine what that has to do for fish. And if I had to like compare it, it'd probably feel like being stuck on a waterboard for like seven hours with just a drip of water hitting (laughs) you on the head. That would drive me nuts. I wouldn't want to eat. So um, you have Oneida coming up. You probably have plenty of experience at Oneida here recently, correct? So, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, what do you expect coming up there? 
the weekend after 4th of July. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I'm hoping for. I like um, that. Yeah. So I've had a couple top tens there in the past in the opens, but this was before Gobies got in the lake. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping for a perch fry bite um, because the past couple of year, couple of times we've been, it's been a goby bite, um, more related to rocks, and there's just not enough rocky rock. There ain't enough rock piles, rocky stretches on that lake for there to be 250 boats out there. So yeah. I'm hoping there's a perch bite. I'm hoping that we could catch them in the grass and it kind of spreads everybody out a little bit and gives you more of a chance to find something to yourself, you know. I'm going to send you a message real fast that my buddy sent me who lives on Oneida Lake. Okay. So check your uh, DMs here in a little bit because I'll keep this between you and I. Sorry, people, for listening, but I <laughs> as soon as you said that, it triggered something, so yeah. I wanted to send it to yeah. you real fast. But, um, yeah, I mean, Oneida Lake is been funky because a lot of times and like you're allowed to talk about it right i just want to clarify that so a lot of times in like late july and august and this is it's two and a half hours away from me so i don't get there a ton but they always have like a year of the young hatch which is those perch fry you have the bait fish fry year of the young walleye smallmouth largemouth and everything else it's such a fertile lake that they get they start eating things that are like this big and they become almost impossible to catch the other thing that goes on this time of year and people overlook is a giant mayfly hatch. And um, I know that is going on right now. So, but um, Oneida Lake has been down the last few years in fish size and population. I hope based on what I've seen so far this year, I hope that it goes off for the opens again. I I would agree with that because although it's a small place, when we were there in 2016 and 2017, um, it, it it really went off. It took 16, mm-hmm. 17 pounds a day to even get paid or do well there. So it's a good fishery when it shows out. You know? Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting because you guys aren't going in like August or September this year. You're going earlier on. So my fingers are crossed that those smallmouth actually want to eat. Yeah. And, uh, so too. Yeah. And I got to. I got to come out with uh, probably two top 15 finishes and my next two Northerns to kind of keep my elite chase alive. So I'm yeah. looking to get a top 10 there, hopefully. Because it's what, Oneida and then the – is it the Potomac or the Chesapeake? Uh, Chesapeake, yep. So any experience on the Chesapeake? Never been on Chesapeake. Um, I like tidal waters. Like, I like the Potomac. I like the James. But I like to run the tide and – I don't really know how far I can push that on the Chesapeake. Um, I haven't right. been there before, so it's going to be a different different deal for sure. So, Do you plan on like hitting it up on the way home from Oneida just to scope it out before going back, or is it a little bit too far out of the way? Oh, I, it just kind of depends on how Oneida goes. You know, if, it, if Oneida goes good and I got a lot of pep and energy yeah. in me, I'll probably stop by and check it out. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I understand those feelings for yep. sure. So, <laughs> and then uh, the rest of the opens, there's what two Southerns already done, right? And one yep. Central. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, what do you have left on the docket there for opens in the Southerns and Centrals? We have Rayburn, Red River, Onada, Chesapeake, mm, and one more. I can't think of. Oh, uh, Hartwell. Gotcha. Yeah. So out of all of them, which two would you say you're looking forward to the two the most? And then which one? I have a feeling I know which one you're gonna say are you looking forward to the least? <laughs> yeah. Oh I like Onada. Um and I like Hartwell. Um I I've been to Hartwell a few times. I like chasing spotted bass and I like I like upward feeding fish. And that's kind of what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that perch fry bite ha- happens at Onada because I'm hoping to draw fish up instead of get down with them. So yeah, there, there's gobies have changed the dynamic of a lot of our inland lakes because they're finally starting to get into a few of them. And um, yeah, goby eaters are weird, but they take a long time for them to adjust to them. Yeah. So, yeah. but boy, do they make smallies fat and big and yeah. lazy. They do. So, it, um, what I've noticed on, like, I live in Buffalo, John. What I've noticed is that our fish 
where there's a giant goby population in structure, they don't move nearly as much. Yeah. Like they become way less pelagic. They become basically like butterball turkeys. They just sit on the bottom and they have a free meal. Why do they have to look up and chase? Yep. yep that's but right. um when you get mayflies and perch young and shad young, they have to feed up because they're always going to be genetically coded to eat those fish. Yep eat the bay fish. So I hope that works out for you. I hope I hear about a topwater bite on Oneida or something similar because that place used to be historically famous for like the insane topwater footage that yep. Lake had. The so, first the first time I was there I, I got a top ten and I caught them all on topwater. And it that was that was fun. Yeah. Talk about frightening but exciting all at the yeah, same time. Right. Smallies and treble hooks do not mix one bit. <laughs> yeah, like yep. uh, there's a certain time of year here where I get on like a speed crank bite, and every time I set the hook, I'm like, "Don't come off! Don't come off! Don't come off!" Yeah, I feel the same way when they blow up on a giant spook. So yep. the one that you're looking forward to the least, even though you can't really say that you're because they're yeah. all tournaments, you look forward to them all. I'm going to go out on a whim here and say it's the Red River. Yeah, that is exactly right. <laughs> so, I have been there one time before. We had a college championship there. It wasn't even in the fall. It was kind of in the just right after the spawn. Typically should have been better. It was awful. And I heard it's worse now than it was then. Great. Um, <laughs> that That's great. I've been looking at some tournament um, results from that time frame. 10 pounds a bag. <laughs> so, uh, Sounds like the Ohio River to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, that's going to be a – if I get out of there with some fish and a lower unit, I'll, I'll be a happy camper. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, would you say in your fishing style, are you more of like a power fisherman, you got to go out and catch them, or are you a grinder, like grinder got to grind on the Red River type deal? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I have done well in both. Um for some reason, those those tough tournaments where I could pick a flipping stick up and just flip for eight hours, I've done well in those, and I've done well here and there in, in slugfest tournaments. You know, kind of like we've had Onada, Pickwick, you know, stuff like that, where I could find something off the wall. Um, I feel more comfortable fishing when I know the fish are biting and there's a lot of fish around. It gives me more confidence to find something that someone else isn't going to, I have more confidence that I have a chance of finding an off the wall spot mm-hmm. for second would find off something off the wall, the red river, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that I've had a mix of success in both. I would say. So, I mean, the one thing that's nice about flipping tournaments, right. Is when you hook one, the chance of it coming off are slim to none, unless it's yep. you know, a pitch that you probably should have never made. And that's when the giant bites. That's and you're every- like 13 feet back in bushes, and you're like, how the hell do I get them out of here now? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, there's something about like hand-to-hand combat with a big flipping stick. The hookup, the land ratio is just incredible, in my opinion. Yeah. So but um anything else going on here in the near future besides the opens that you want to talk about or I'll be honest with you, right now my life is circling around the opens and duck season. Um, that's pretty much my life has been the past couple of years. Um, I, I am, I've heard a few things floating around about some changes to the opens. Been sworn to secrecy not to say anything. Um, but I'm looking forward to what the opens has to offer in the upcoming years. Yeah. Uh, changes of you know, maybe places, maybe how some things are going to be taken into consideration. So, um, right now I can, I'm probably going, you can bet to see me fishing the opens for, I'll say at least two more years, um, is what I'm going to probably limit myself to. So. Awesome. And at the beginning of the show, you said you were a duck hunting guide. So how can, if somebody on here is listening and they want to go duck hunting with John Garrett, how do they go about finding you so they can book a trip if your calendar is open? Yeah, so you can go to my Facebook page at John Garrett Outdoors, shoot me a message, or find me on Instagram, John Garrett Fishing, and shoot me a message on there. Awesome. I'm yeah. not much of a duck hunter, but um, 
I hope somebody from, from listening to this podcast actually books a trip with you. That'd be yeah. quite awesome. So yeah, well, yeah. fingers crossed. Support yeah. a dream. Fishing is expensive, especially with the cost of lures and gas and everything going up. So yeah, give us a fighting chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before we uh, let you go here, John, I appreciate your uh, time and taking it out here. We oh, yeah. got just under an hour, but um. Since you're a listener, I'm sure you know the question that is coming. This is Bailey's baby and brainchild. Okay. I hope I hope you didn't prep for it. If you do, know, do you know what question it is? No. Uh, I am surprised. Oh, real quick, Justin Barry says off topic. Topic: How many turkeys did you kill or call in this year? How many did I kill or call in this year? Um, I seen five turkeys die this year. Awesome. So yeah. thanks for the question, Justin. I, I apologize. So like completely ADHD that and suck it yeah. right in. And then Jim here also says, great to hear whispers on opens changes. I'll actually be a second to that voice. I've heard some too from yep. friends that are fishing the opens. And from what I'm hearing, it sounds awesome. Yep. So let's hope it actually pans out. Cause um, as all sports, and this is be like a side tangent here. Change can be sometimes really good. And in a sport where there's constantly evolvement and leagues evolving and growing and new leagues coming up and leagues dying, sometimes you need good change to be sustainable. So yes. let's hope that change is a good sustainability move for bass so they can continue their run as king, in my personal opinion. Oh. So, but uh, back to the final last question we oh. have here, John. Uh, so, if you could sit down, if you drink beer, iced tea, because we know down south they love their sweet tea in Tennessee, South Carolina area, and have a steak, who are the three people you would invite to your steak dinner with beer, sweet tea, and why? They can come from any time in history, like before Christ, after Christ, after death, present. It could be historical sports. It could be family members. Who would those three people be and why? Oh, my gosh. Loaded. Loaded. That is a big question. I'm going to keep this simple in the fishing industry, okay? like it. I like it. I have always liked my time and experience with Mark Zona. I'm going to put Mark Zona on the table. I would. Probably put hmm, who else? I have been. I feel like it'd be a fun table. I feel like I would probably want. I've been around Iconelli a few times. He was a hoot to say the least. I'd probably put him on there. And the third person, man, this is this is hard to uh, put a pin on this. Um. I'm going to put Mark Menendez on seat number three. Um, I'll have two people. It's going to be a great time. And I'll have a very realistic, honest person on the table with me. So uh, kind of maybe to neutral things out, I would say. Speaking of Mark Menendez on here, didn't they change like the elite series rule for him on, was it like Ross Barnett or something where he like took his little aluminum dinghy boat and got underneath like a bridge and way upstream yeah. where yep. no one else could be. And yeah, then, he, yeah. He took another Yamaha boat, a G3 um, got in somewhere where no one else could. And they decided after that tournament or after that year, you have to stay in the boat you fish in all year. So yeah, yeah. he was, he was the reasoning behind that. So well, it, it's interesting, though, because I remember when the Elite Series came to Buffalo in 2006 and 2007, a lot of the guys came in like, if I remember correctly, a lot of them came in like unwrapped deep V boats. It's like they picked them up off the lot just yeah. for that tournament on Lake Erie. And then they went to like Oneida or Champlain afterwards and they'd be in their bass boat again like a week later. I'm like, Man, to live in a time in 2008 when gas was $2.90 a gallon and we thought we were going to explode then. Like, imagine people being able to do that today. How yep. could you even afford two boats? <laughs> yep. But yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a party. Like, 
they're going to get Rockstar Zona, the most truthful person in probably bass fishing, and Mark Menendez, and then Aguinelli, yep. who's just going to scream every time he talks about a big one. Yeah. So yep. <laughs> that and then there might be some other names that maybe I should have picked or something like that. That's what come to my head. So that's yeah. just that's what you got. So no, I think those are uh, three very solid choices. I would love to sit down in Zona and have like a steak and a beer with them because I feel like he would have endless stories. Even on like Bass Live, the guy just goes on like random tangents about something, and you're just like, yep. "Where did that come from?" Left field, yeah. like, geez. Yep. So, but uh, no, I want to say thank you for uh, tuning in here, and everyone. And John, thanks for taking out the hour of your night on this Tuesday. While well, you should be getting ready for packing and heading up yep. here to the North Country, where the fish are plentiful usually, and. Uh, <laughs> small mouth are crazy so it, just real quick before you go how spoiled do you feel whenever you come to new york and then you go home and you're like crap i don't even feel like fishing dude it's unbelievable i i i make it a point to go to new york or michigan every year tournament or not and even i got a tournament on onada i'm gonna go up to ontario i'm gonna have some fun um, not sweat to death. We're looking at 110 degrees here where I'm at. Whew, and, pass me on that. <laughs> yep. And when when I come back down, really no point in it. I got my fix while I was up there. And when I go here, I'm like, man, it honestly just sucks here. You know, so, <laughs> uh, I wish I had a secondary um, house, you know, on the St. Lawrence River or St. Clair mm-hmm. or something where I could go and spend the summer for sure. Uh, have you ever fished Buffalo? I've not. I've um, not. A lot of people who go to the St. Lawrence and Lake Ontario and then fish Buffalo are like, wow, I can't believe Buffalo isn't talked about more. Really? So, yeah, I'm pretty blessed. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I guide full time in Buffalo for smallmouth. And my gosh, is it fun? All year long, like we're catching 40 to 80 smallmouth over three pounds. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's it's a great time. And, And Lake Ontario seems to be pulling all the pressure there. And I, I almost feel bad talking about it because, like, on a, any given day in the summertime, you might see one to five bass boats out fishing yeah. for bass, and our fish are dumb most <laughs> of the time. So, like, people stay away, but also come visit me and go on a guided bass trip for yep. smallmouth. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you again, John, for everything tonight. Um, go get yourself a blue trophy. It's long overdue. We're rooting for you here. And uh, when you do, we'll get you back on. Or if you don't this year, we'll get you back on again to talk about the Opens at the end because this is long overdue. We appreciate you taking the time, truly, and uh, safe travels, man. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. So we'll talk soon. So thanks for everyone for tuning in here. Um, I want to take the time. If you haven't yet and you're new here on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. And uh, leave a comment down below. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Remember that this podcast is brought to you by X2 Power. But also, real quick, at the beginning of the show, if you're still listening, I brought up the idea of doing a lure of the week or bait of the week. If that is something that you guys want to see, that segment will be run by yours truly, the captain. And um, that's something that me and Bailey have been talking about and Deacon. So if you like that idea, shoot us a message or comment below here on the YouTube channel or on Facebook. If that is something you'd like to see, we will definitely be able to do that for you. And then a quick side note, um, if you haven't yet, check out the Business from the Bass Boat episode that came out yesterday. It was a really good one. Uh, They were talking with Tanner Lyons about the alternate career path to pro fishing. And I believe he is on the media side. I personally have not had a chance to listen to it. And then on Friday, um, we are going to have Ryan Hanks, Clint Bartlett, and Joe LaBarbera on to talk about their experience up the St. Lawrence, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie um, as Southerners and the first time up here fishing for smallmouth bass in the great Great North and the Outer Realm. So that will be a really fun episode. And we're going to be talking about some baits that uh, were used to catch some giant smallmouth when they were here. So, uh, but for now, thank you everybody for tuning in and we will see you on Friday.
Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.